Welcome to the Porch here on Firefall. Talk Radio, I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics, the red letter basics, the words that the Lord spoke, the example of the Book of Acts Church. We follow the Word without it being watered down, without being filtered. We take it as it was given to us to use it as it was meant to be used. We dig deeper into Scripture. We find the church the Lord intended and not the one that man created. The porch has always been about restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining the world-shaking influence that the early church had. We need it right now. We believe the day of Pentecost is ongoing. The fire of the upper room still burns. It's there for you if you want it. If you have any questions, go to firefalltalkradio.com. Use the contact button. You can reach us or... You can write us directly at the porch at firefalltalkradio.com. Praise reports, prayer requests, you have a need, let us know. Wherever you're listening to us from the various streaming sites, let us know where that is too. At the end of the year, we're going to make a reevaluation of all the places we broadcast from. Some of them are free Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio come with the Spreaker account. But Blog Talk, Podbean, and SoundCloud, SoundCloud, that's easy for you to say, Richard, um, we pay extra for so that we can get the word out and we can reach each and every one of you. We appreciate your support and your encouragement. Just give us the Lord leads. There's things that we need to get done, and um, we're hoping that you'll want to be a part of that. So welcome to all our listeners. We start out with praise reports and prayer requests, and of course I praise him for my salvation. Otherwise, I'm not here. I'm somewhere else, probably lost in a fallen world, but thankfully that wasn't his plan for me. October 9th of 1988, he saved my soul, gave me back the family I discarded, and then brought me into the family business. So I thank him. I thank him for my salvation, for my home, for my wife, son, daughter-in-law's, our grandson, or all of our furry kids, each and every one of them. I am incredibly blessed and very thankful. Thankful for his provision, his protection over us in this fallen world. For the dreams and the visions allowing us to live out Joel 2.28. I praise him for the healing virtues that are still available to each and every one of us every day. Praise him for divine favor, divine abiding favor and revelation for being a new creation and living in what I believe are prophetic times. We're watching things be fulfilled, some very deliberate and distinct, some you have to be able to see with spiritual eyes. I'm also thankful for the signs that he's giving us, which began when on the day of Pentecost, but then when Israel became a nation and the fig tree blossomed, the clock began to tick. The enemy knows it. It's been acting accordingly. I wish his body would, but I know the remnant is, and that's who you are, and that's why you're here. So let's get ready. And we do so by praying. Psalm 122, verse 6, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. I pray for Israel. I pray for Jerusalem. I pray for its leadership. I pray against their enemies. I pray for America. Boy, does America need prayer right now. Choices have consequences, and America is seeing that. But the Lord allowed it to happen. We are where we are because we wandered away. 
and he's getting our attention. So I pray for America. I pray that God would shed his grace on thee. I pray God would fix everything that's wrong by tearing down, rooting up, and rebuilding. I'm praying for the people of ask of, of let me say that again. Praying for the people of Afghanistan. Some craziness going on there right now. The enemy's in control again. And we're seeing what the result of that is. I pray for those people. I pray that those that want to get out can get out. I pray no American will be abandoned there and be slaughtered. I pray our leaders would wake up and do something about it. I pray for Cuba and France and Australia and New Zealand and all these places that are being victimized by their leaders. And I guess we should talk about America as well. We need to pray. And some people say, well, we may need more than prayer. Well, maybe we do, but there's only so much that we can do, and it's in his hands. But I can petition the throne room, as my brother Larry and I do every day. I pray for the fatherless and the widows, the persecuted and the martyred, the innocents, the poor in spirit, and those that are victims of injustice. I pray against the slaughter of the innocents, both in and out of the womb, both animal and human. I'm praying for missing and exploited children, the victims of sex trafficking. I'm praying that those that are a part of that demonic business would be found and brought to justice. I'm praying they would repent. I'm praying for our brothers and sisters around the world being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith. Right now in Afghanistan, the Taliban is stopping people and looking on their phones, and if they find a Bible app, or any indication that they're Christians, they're being slaughtered. They're being beheaded. The growing religious and persecution and anti-Semitism we're seeing in the world is a sign to me that the Antichrist has stepped one step closer to the world stage. But I know that he who restrains him, I believe is the Holy Spirit in the church, is still in his way. And as long as we're here... We're going to pray and push back. We need to get bold. We need to be as bold as the enemy is and pray against it and push back. I'm praying for divine wholeness, health, and healing and that we get back to our divine design. It's very difficult to do the job if you're fighting health issues. So I'm praying for each and every one of us who's fighting something right now to be healed in Yeshua's name. You know, Larry and I are talking today, and I believe that the things that can be healed by a change in our lifestyle or healed naturally, I think the Lord lets things go that way. But then there are certain things that only He can do. And that's what we're crying out to. We're crying out to Him right now from the throne room to speak the word that we would be healed. Forgive us for anything we've done to ourselves or anything we have chosen that has gotten us to where we are physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Need to pray for each other, pray for our families, pray for our loved ones, heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. Praying divine protection, that Psalm 91 covering be in place, that the enemy be held back, that the angels that he sends to guard us would be in place, that the armor would be sealed upon us. Divine inspiration would come into us, Lately, I'm in a period where he's just dropping nuggets and thoughts and scriptures and sharing things with me. It's, it's an awesome experience 
but sometimes you really got to keep up. Got to stay alert. Got to stay awake. I'm praying for the remnant, each and every one of us, to be where we need to be so that he can use us, to wake up, to rise up, to take a stand, answer the call to action in whatever way he's asked us to. And and sometimes it's to be a blessing. Sometimes it's to reach out to others and say, hey, I know of some people that could use your help. Firefall Talk Radio, SRT, Supernatural Response Team, The Porch. People that want to go out and confront the enemy. Set the captives free. Live out Luke 4.18. I'm praying for those divine doors to open up so that we can finish this documentary. Shine the light into the corners of darkness and expose the, whole, the, the enemy by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm also praying that we can get on the road and minister and do other things. Praying for lost family members. Boy, if there was ever a time we really need to, as they say in the South, hunker down. And intercede for people that get saved, healed, and delivered. It's now. We're running out of time. And prayer for all the things that each and every one of us one of us want to do for the kingdom of God to move forward. And that includes getting healthy. Uh, Nick and Dallas, if you remember, boy, that hit me since I got started. I was fine until the music played. Nick in Dallas sent a praise report about his sister. She's had all the staples removed. Uh, They're using surgical tape to give the incision strength. Doctors are extremely happy with how everything is healing. She's been cleared for light driving. Uh, She said, thank you to you and everyone on the porch for prayers. And we're still asking for healing for what remains that Jesus knows about. Junior in Oklahoma on Friday told us that his four-year-old grandson went into the ICU. He has heart problems, but then he got sick, and his heart was having major trouble. Well, his grandson, Aurelius, went home yesterday, so it's a praise report. He's still not 100%. He's on four different meds, but he's on his way, so keep praying for him. Also, his wife's doing better now with her breathing. She's recovering. The doctor says she probably has asthma. And even though the doctors say she'll have it for the rest of her life, we know who the divine physician is. So we're going to pray that the Lord heal her completely. Uh, Junior said, thank you, Porch family, for the prayers that were very appreciated. He says, our group is real and God hears our prayers. Thank you so much. Keep praying. Dawn and Mark in South Carolina still need a place to live. They're living... um, with a family member, but they need their own place and they need favor to do that. This is a tough market right now to find a place to live. Before I came on the air, Stacy in Texas sent me a um, report that her furry kid, Savannah, who I met, I think, nine years ago and fell in love with, ran over the Rainbow Bridge this morning. So she's healthy and whole and uh, running with her fur brothers and sisters and probably some of ours as well. So, Father, we come to you now in the name of Yeshua, the name above all names. You are our only hope. You're all we have. We can't look to man. We can't look to this fallen world system. We can only look to you, and we do. And we say, Abba, Father, Papa, God, Daddy, we love you. 
We thank you. You are awesome. You are wonderful. You are worthy to be praised. Thank you for loving us even when we were unlovable. Thank you for forgiving us and spending time with us and making a way for us by sending Yeshua to pay our debt. He paid for it with every drop of blood. He let them nail him to that cross, scourge him, beat him, humiliate him, and then he died for us. But you know what? We're really, really thankful that he's alive, that the tomb is empty, that he sits at your right hand, Father, far above all principality and power, and he lets us sit with him in the heavenly places. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for what you're doing. And we thank you by faith for what you are going to do. We pray that you would bless us, so you would help us. You would speak. You would touch. You would change us. We need provision. We need strength. We need clarity of mind. We need your love to fill our hearts and your power to fill our hands. We need your voice come out of our mouth. So, Holy Spirit, I believe that's your job, so we're going to come to you right now to remind us, to change us, to anoint us, to empower us. So we take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Messiah. We claim the mind of Messiah and cast down every vain imagination that would exalt itself above the knowledge of El Elyon, God Most High, our Father. So, Lord, have your way with us. Holy Spirit, do as you will. Let the words that go forth be what you once said. Let them be received and let them be applied. In Yeshua's name, amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. Combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. So a lot of times, I think I know what he wants me to teach on. And then at the last minute, he flips it and changes it. So go with me to Matthew 21. I'm not teaching on that, but I'm setting up what I'm going to share with you on Jesus and the fig tree in Matthew 21, starting with verse 18. In the morning, as Yeshua was returning to Jerusalem, he was hungry. And he noticed the fig tree beside the road. He went over to see if there were any figs, but there were only leaves. And then he said to it, May you never bear fruit Again, Mark eleven thirteen says he noticed the fig tree in full leaf a little way off and went over to see if he could find figs, but there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Immediately the fig tree withered up. And the disciples were amazed when they saw this, and they asked, How did the fig tree wither so quickly? Which might not have been the total right question, but... And Yeshua said to them, 
I tell you the truth, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, but you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. You can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. Well, I believe the question should have been, why, Lord? You are asking the fig tree for fruit out of season. We know the stories in Matthew, it's in Mark, and it's in Luke. And in Mark 11, verses 12 through 26, we see that the fig tree is cursed, and then Yeshua cleanses the temple. There's both an individual and a corporate judgment taking place. Both the national one, which is Israel represents the fig tree, or the fig tree represents Israel. And then the religious one, the cleansing of the temple. But here's the simple message I want to get through to you today. When the Lord wants fruit, there better be fruit. All of nature is subject to the word and the will of the Lord. See, it had indications of fruit by its leaves, but it had none. And it had a legitimate excuse. It's too early in the season. Doesn't matter. The Lord wanted fruit, and there was none. If the Lord seeks fruit, there better be fruit there, even out of season. So now go with me to the, the area I'm going to focus on. 2 Timothy 4, starting with verse 1. I charge you, therefore, this is God, uh, a Paul, Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy. I charge you, therefore, before God and Adonai Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearance and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now we could say Paul is speaking to Timothy as the pastor of a church and as an evangelist, but I believe, and I've said it here before, that we are all called to the Great Commission. We're not all called to get up in front of a group. We're not all called to shepherd a group or to do anything like that. But we are all called to know the word and to be able to share that word with people in need, in season, and out. The Nelson Study Bible says, Paul reminds Timothy that Yeshua will return in judgment. Paul's charge to Timothy is to preach the word. The foundation of any ministry is God's word. Preaching God's truth is a sacred and demanding task requiring perseverance and courage. Be ready. Be ready to take a stand. Be ready to tell the truth. Speak it in love. He's telling Timothy, always be alert to your responsibilities and your calling. 
even when it's inconvenient to do so. Now, the type of ministry he's speaking to Timothy about is not for a novice, not for somebody who just got saved. And unfortunately, in the church, somebody gets saved, and if they have a dramatic testimony, they throw them right up on stage, or they do it themselves, they do it on social media. I see people get saved, and they're all filled with the spirit and the vigor of their salvation, and they begin to teach when they're not ready to begin to teach. The teachers have a bigger responsibility, according to James 3.1. Not many of you should become teachers serving in an official teaching capacity, my brothers and sisters. For you know that we who are teachers will be judged, receive greater judgment by a higher standard because we have assumed greater accountability and more condemnation if we teach incorrectly. That seems to be lost in today's society. People teach a lot of things. They teach their opinion. They teach what they think the Word is instead of teaching what the Word is, and they do not understand that they will be held accountable for that. The Nelson Study Bible goes on to say that being long-suffering in teaching means being patient. In instruction, you have to be patient as a teacher. And you have to be able to communicate the Word. True spiritual growth occurs over a period of time through consistent teaching and application of God's Word. I didn't want to hear that when I was a baby Christian. The Lord shared a lot with me. I consumed the Word. I I had it, but I wasn't mature enough yet. And I was so immature, I didn't want you to tell me that I was immature. Looking back at it now, almost 33 years, I just shake my head. I've even told Pastor Shelley how thankful I am he put up with me. Sound teaching, teaching that's based on the Word, not someone's opinion of the Word, takes spiritual maturity. It takes a commitment. It takes a love for the Lord and for His Word that you are unwilling to compromise, to water it down. You know, the Lord began to give me deeper revelation in January of 2007. And he began to download, as I took it, information into my mind. He began to show me things. He began to take me places, both here and in the Spirit. And I sat on that information for three years. I studied. I found the Word that confirmed my revelation, I didn't manipulate the word. If the revelation didn't match the word, I set it aside until I could explain it based upon the word. And then it wasn't until early 2010 that I actually began to teach what he had been telling me for the prior three years. But there will come a time, and now is, where people will seek teachers. That's what he's telling Timothy, and boy, are we seeing it now. They're going to seek out teachers that will tell them what they want to hear, what makes them feel good, what entertains them, which takes me into the other thing that inspired this lesson. The Christian Post, Sunday, August 22nd, 2021. This is the headline. 60% of all adults under 40 say Jesus 
isn't the only way to salvation. He's equal to Buddha, Muhammad. The survey shows a pluralistic worldview expanding rapidly among American Christians. Let me read this short article to you and then hope I don't go off in too big a rant. More than 60% of born-again Christians in America between the ages of 18 and 39 believe that Buddha, Muhammad, and Jesus are all valid paths to salvation. And over 30% say that they either believe Jesus sinned, just like other people, when he lived on earth, or aren't sure, according to a new study. There is, quote, a striking decline in evangelical religious beliefs and practices over the last 10 years as the number of self-proclaimed believers to hold these beliefs has increased by nearly 25%, says Probe Ministries in a statement announcing the results of its Religious Views and Practices survey. The study, which interviewed 3,100 Americans ages 18 to 55 in 2020 looked at various other previous studies, saw a drop in the basic biblical worldview. God's attributes, the accuracy of the Bible, salvation, and Jesus being sinless went from 47% in 2010 to 25% in 2020 among born-again Christians. I, I would have added among self-proclaimed born-again Christians. Nope, I'm already ranting. Let me stick to the article. The drop in the expanded biblical worldview, beliefs about Satan and morals being objective, went from 32% in 2010 to 16% in 2020. This is a quote. So, the percentage of born-again Christians with a biblical worldview of either type has been cut in half over the last decade, says the study, which compared the 18-29 to 29 age group from 2010 with the same group 10 years later, now 30-39. to 39. The result is a startling, startling degradation in worldview beliefs of born-again Christians just over 10 years. Kirby Anderson, president of Probe Ministries, says, This means even born-again Christians can have a false view of Jesus Christ and embrace a pluralistic worldview. Pastors and church leaders just can't assume any longer that the members of their church or Christian organization have a basic biblical worldview. There's even a greater drop-off among the general population, the study found. For the basic biblical worldview, there's a drop-off of 13 percent to six percent. For the expanded biblical worldview, the decline is from nine percent to just over three percent. Anderson goes on to say these disturbing trends are yes due to pastors not consistently teaching biblical theory, but they can also be attributed to young Christians who are not paying attention, who are focused nearly exclusively, it seems, on their phones, social media, and other content they deem more compelling. He goes on to say the study suggests that we have to continue to explain the cost of salvation, that there is no way to salvation other than through the sacrificial and atoning death of a sinless Christ, or a Messiah as I would call him, that no one can come to the Father except through the Son, but also that anyone may come through him. 
An article studies finding on the Probe Ministry website notes that in the Roman Empire in AD 60, the biblical worldview Christians accounted for less than 1% of the population. That, I just read that out loud for the first time, and that's not written very well. Basically, what it's saying is that in the Roman Empire, 60 AD, the Christian worldview was only 1% of the population. 300 years after that, virtually the entire empire was at least nominally, nominally Christian. Anderson says, finally, in conclusion, if we will commit ourselves to proclaiming the excellency of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, God will bring revival to our land. This is an end result of a watered-down word, a compromised word, preachers and teachers being more enamored with the spotlight than they are the light of God. It also is a byproduct of believers who still sit in pews seeking for somebody else's knowledge of the word. See, I don't chase after any man. I had one of the best teachers in the world. So I don't chase after any man. If I listen to somebody, I'm not looking for him to teach me the word. I'm looking for a confirmation. I'm looking maybe for a different perspective. But I don't need him to teach me the word because I study the word. I'm in the word every day. I eat that word. I live that word. I breathe that word. Too many people are still birds in a nest with their mouths open, saying, feed me, feed me, your regurgitated word. As Paul said, they're still drinking milk when they should be chewing meat. And the end result of that will be that when the enemy makes the move that it's apparent he's on the verge of making, many believers will not only be surprised and caught off guard, they will be completely and utterly unprepared. Pastors and pulpits will crumble. They won't be able to fight. They won't be able to push back. Even people that think they know spiritual warfare will be shocked at the ferocity of the enemy, his schemes, what he does, and how he does it. Why? Because they've had their ears tickled. I will tell you this, for all the years that I've done the porch, I've never sought to tickle your ears. I've sought to feed you as much word as you could possibly stand. Like my mentor, I laid out a banquet, a smorgasbord of revelation, of word, of everything the Lord has shared with me in a way that I hope that you can understand and entice you to want more. See, Paul's telling Timothy, convince, reprove, convict, rebuke the false teachers. But here's what I believe. I believe people that say they're born again are not. I believe they've had a religious experience, an emotional experience, but they're not born again, and they definitely don't have the spirit of truth inside of them, because in John 16, 18, red letters, he says, when he, he being the Ruach HaKadosh, the Holy Spirit that emanates from the Father, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. 
If the Holy Spirit is present, there is conviction. And Paul's telling Timothy, straighten out these people, straighten out these teachers, take command, rebuke them. In love, find fault, correct them before it's too late. That word rebuke, we see it a lot. Matthew seventeen eighteen, and Yeshua rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. When you rebuke an entity, when you rebuke a demon, you are a casting judgment upon them based upon the laws of God and the word of the Lord and the authority of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Mark one twenty five. Yeshua, excuse me, Yeshua rebuked him, being the demon said, be quiet and come out of him. Maybe, maybe we need to say to these teachers, be quiet and come out of them. Luke eight twenty four, and they came to him and awoke him. He was sleeping, saying, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. We need to get some of this back. Luke 17, 3, take heed to yourselves. If a brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. We don't want to correct anybody. We don't want to step on anybody's toes. And what that's done is created a massive mess in the body of Messiah. But you're also dealing with people that don't want to hear the truth. They'd rather hear anything but the truth. This is the sixth time that Paul uses the word truth in this short letter. I think he's trying to get a point across. 2 Timothy 2, verses 15 and 18. 15 through 18. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. To be an approved workman, you've been tested by the fire, you've been tested by trial, and you need not be ashamed if you accurately and skillfully teach the word of truth. And remember, as Paul's writing this, he's facing execution. But he's still concerned about what he's leaving behind. He's still concerned a spiritual son's faith would be tempted to depart from the truth, lured by these very powerful, very effective, and very deceptive false teachers. We need apostles like Paul to speak up and to stand up. Now, I've seen people, they do podcasts and they do things on YouTube and they start to attack people. And some of them, there's one person that's very popular right now. I won't mention his name. People send me his his videos and, and the spirit behind his criticism is not from the Lord. First of all, he's not old enough and mature enough in the Word to be doing what he's doing. 2 Timothy 2, verses 22 
through 25. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace for those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. As a servant of a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth. See, you can know the truth, but not the spirit of that truth. I'd like to say I was different as a baby Christian, but I wasn't. Sometime the fire and the fervor got the better of me, and I had to be taught by the Lord the hard way. I had to be humbled. I had to be stripped. I had to be broken. We're to pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue love, and peace with those believers who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You want to correct someone, you don't want to break them. We need to do it with grace and mercy and courtesy and gentleness in the hope that the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, will inspire them, convict them to repent and lead them to the knowledge of the truth that they would accurately Understand and welcome it. But where are we in 2021? It's amazing how many times I read what I'm about to read to you saying, Oh, this must be now. Well, actually, it's been since the beginning of the church. But I think as we get closer to the end and the unveiling of the son of perdition as the enemy rises up and takes more ground and does more things second timothy 3 starting with verse 1 becomes more appropriate but understand this that in the last days dangerous times of great stress and trouble will come difficult days difficult days that will be hard to bear For people will be lovers of self, narcissistic, self-focused, lovers of money, impelled by greed, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. And they will be unloving, devoid of natural human affection, calloused and inhumane, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, devoid of self-control, intemperate, immoral. Brutal, haters of good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of sensual pleasures rather than lovers of God. Holding to a form of outward godliness, of religion, although they've denied its power for their conduct nullifies the claim of faith. Avoid such people and keep far away from them, for among them are those who worm their way into homes captivate morally weak and spiritually dwarfed women, weighed down by the burden of their sins, easily swayed by various impulses, always learning and listening to anybody who will teach them, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Just as giants and jobbers, the court 
magicians of Egypt opposed Moses, so these men will also oppose the truth. Men of depraved mind, unqualified and worthless as teachers in regard to their faith. Satan has no problem with you reading the word. He knows it better than you do. But he has a problem with you understanding it. Perilous, difficult times and perilous, demonically bound and empowered men and women will bring false teachings and diminish the power of the word. Why? Because he can't have you understanding the word of God. He can't have you acting on a pure word of God. He can't have the living word be inside of you through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. So he's going to let you study. He's going to let you read. And he's going to cloud it with a religious spirit. He's going to cloud it with false teachers that will tell you what your natural humanistic mind wants to hear. And before you know it, you started out one degree off course, and now you're completely lost. So let's go back to Second Timothy 4, verse 1, where this all started. And look at it from Paul's perspective. He's in prison. He's hearing things. He's heard the stories. He knows what's going on out there. False teachers have already slipped into the church, this brand new living entity. The enemy sent people right away. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of the Messiah, Yeshua, who is to judge living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word as an official messenger, Timothy. Be ready when the time is right and even when it's not. Keep your sense of urgency, whether the opportunity seems favorable or unfavorable, whether convenient or inconvenient, whether welcome or unwelcome. Correct those who err in doctrine or behavior. Warn those who sin. Exhort and encourage those who are growing towards spiritual maturity with inexhaustible patience and faithful teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine and accurate instruction that challenges them with God's truth, but wanting to have their ears tickled with something pleasing, they will accumulate for themselves many teachers, one after another, chosen to satisfy their own desires and to support the errors they hold, and will turn their ears away from the truth and will wander off into myth and man-made fiction and will accept the unacceptable. But as for you, be clear-headed in every situation. Stay calm and cool and steady. Endure every hardship without flinching. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill the duties of your ministry. See, Paul, and not loving, he doesn't just love Timothy, he loves the Lord's flock. He continues on this theme of false teaching and turns towards focusing on the false teachers themselves, noting that their impact upon the church at Ephesus and Corinth and all these other places, but concluding with the affirmation that they will not succeed. Now, I remember when we were Christian Heritage, 
I may have shared this, but it applies. Early on, I, be, I was able to give words in tongues and then the interpretation of those of those words. And I knew if I gave a message, Shelley would have the interpretation. He knew if he gave a message, I would have the interpretation. But then there was one other person there who wanted the attention. And he would give interpretations that weren't anywhere near accurate. And I always wondered why Shelley didn't rebuke him and shut him down. And so he told me one day, because I asked him. He said, come Monday morning, everybody will have forgotten what that person said, because the Holy Spirit will not validate it and will not remind them of it. What he was telling me is, yes, people are going to stand up and say false things. They're going to say things in error. Maybe not maliciously, or maybe maliciously, but the Holy Spirit's the spirit of truth, and he's going to make sure you hear what you need to hear. But false teachers are dangerous. They are dangerous to the body. They're dangerous to you. Matthew seven fifteen red letters, beware of the false prophets, teachers who come to you dressed as sheep, appearing gentle and innocent, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Later on in Matthew 7, this is what he says, verse 21 through 23, which I believe is one of the scariest parts of the New Testament. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day when I judge them, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and driven out demons in your name and done many miracles in your name? And then I will declare to them publicly, I never knew you. Depart from me. You are banished from my presence. You act wickedly, disregarding my commands. Those people that say that Yeshua is not the only way to the Father are going to fall into this category because one of the commands of the Father is about His Son. The Lord made it real clear. No man comes to the Father but through me. So that anyone who thinks that Muhammad or Buddha or anyone else will lead to salvation is saying, Lord, you're a liar. Boy, are they going to be shocked. See, that's what this falling away, this apostasia, the apostasy has become. Oh, there's no hell. Don't worry about it. He's not going to send you there. A loving God would never do that. Well, he doesn't send you there. You choose where you're going to go. These same teachers, these same demonically inspired wolves that have snuck into the flock are still doing it to this day. The great and final apostasy, the repudiation of the faith in Messiah, occurs just before the appearance of the son of perdition, the Antichrist. He has to have a world that doesn't believe in the purity and the fullness of the word of God. See, that's why Paul, through divine revelation, through scripture from Daniel to to Matthew, 
is saying that by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit explicitly and unmistakably, I'm starting to get a little riled up here. Let me calm down. Let me slow down. Let me throw throw it back into a lower gear. Hmm. Okay, we're back. We're back on the road. That in later times, some will turn away from the faith. I bet you know people like this. I do. They pay attention to deceitful, seductive spirits and doctrines of demons. They're misled by the hypocrisy of liars, whose consciences are seared as with a branding iron, leaving them incapable of ethical functioning. Doctrines of demons. That's not just teaching that are demonically inspired. That's teaching that are really are practicing the occult. So between the prophecies of Daniel from Daniel 7.25 that the he, the, the Antichrist, will speak words against the Most High God, wear down the saints of the Most High, and he will intend to change the times and the law, and they will be given into his hand for a times, two times and a half time, three and one half years. For the Antichrist to succeed... He has to have people that don't believe the word. Which is why in Matthew 24, starting with verse 4, the theme is don't be deceived. Be careful no one misleads you, deceiving you and leading you into error. For many will come in my name, misusing it, appropriating the strength of the name which belongs to me, saying, I am the Messiah, the Anointed. And they will mislead many. You will continue to hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened, for these things must take place. But it's not the end of the age yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. For these are merely the beginning of birth pangs, of intolerable anguish, in a time of unprecedented trouble. Then they will hand you over to endure tribulation, and you will be put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of my name, and at that time many will be offended and repelled by their association with me and will fall away from the one whom they should trust, and will betray one another, handing over believers to their persecutors, and will hate one another. Many false prophets will appear and mislead many. And because lawlessness is increased, the love of people will grow cold. The reason the love grow cold is because they're not spirit-filled. There's no love inside them. There's no light inside of them. We're seeing teacher after teacher, false prophet, false teacher, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. They're teaching their revelation, not divine revelation. And you ever wonder why Paul commands Timothy because these teachers will prey upon women laden with sins? Well, just as it is now, the majority of the people that do the work in the church are the women. We really need some men to rise up. We really need the male and female leadership to work together. I almost 
said something else, but I won't. And they're always looking for new knowledge, new revelation, never understanding that what they're hearing leans over to the new age, leans further over into the occult, and leans away from the word. And I don't have time for useless wranglings, arguing or squabbling. I just don't. I used to. I don't have time. I'm not going to convince anyone. The Holy Spirit will do that. Satan would love for us to get into arguments. Anger. I I just don't do that. The other thing we see a lot of is people have the verbiage. They have the vocabulary. They say the right things, but what they're saying isn't truth. See, we weren't supposed to blend in. We weren't supposed to be unnoticed. We were supposed to display the gospel in all its beauty, in all of its power, regardless of the complications, regardless of the persecution. He is a risen redeemer. The word of God is true and inspired And the indwelling and overflowing of the Holy Spirit from within believers, which transforms their life, is all of the equation. Not just a part of it, it's all of it. It all works together. And we need a church that lives and walks like that. We don't need super religious, pious people. We don't need superstars. We don't need people saying, well, so-and-so said this, and and brother so-and-so said that. Stop. You have the same Holy Spirit inside of you that speaks from the throne room. The man of lawlessness, the beast, Out of the sea from Revelation 13, the little horn of Daniel 7 and the false Messiah who aims to rule the world from Revelation 13, 15 through 17. That's who we call the Antichrist. And regardless of of the power he gives the other two beasts, the false prophets, Regardless of all that he comes and does, regardless of all the supernatural abilities that he and the fallen have, he can't rule a world in which people still know and believe in the word of God. And that's what he's fighting to do. Let's water it down. Let's change it. Let's get people to believe the lie. Which is why I am inspiring you. I'm hoping I'm inspiring you. I'm calling for you to get a hunger for the word. To understand. To be able to speak to people in their confusion. To speak to them in love. Lead them to a knowledge of the truth. Lead them away from the lie. And set them free. Father, I come to you now in the name of your son, Yeshua. In the power of the Holy Spirit, your Ruach, Hakadesh, the Spirit of Truth. And I pray that these words that I've spoken in your authority, filled with your word, go forth, not just to set the captives free, 
but to empower your children to go out and look for the sheep that have wandered away. To feed them a pure word, a pure food, instead of the rotting, poisonous food that they're getting. And I pray that those that are lost, but who know in their heart there's more, there's something not right with what I'm hearing, will seek out the truth of your word. We'll sit down and open it up and say, Holy Spirit, teach me. Speak to me. And I pray that those that want your Holy Spirit right now, if you truly want the filling, infilling of the Holy Spirit with all of its fruit and all of its gifts, I pray that whatever's holding you back from happening, from having it, that it would happen right now, that you would be filled from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, that all of the manifestations of the fruit and the gifts would be yours, that you would be useful to your heavenly Father in the family business, and that you would be a part of exposing the lies and shining the light into the darkness. So as that deep darkness grows, you can be a beacon to lead people not just to the truth, but lead them home. And I pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio. Music